At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. If you are in need of a funeral in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, you go to the O'Keeffe's. For more than 150 years, the family has been taking care of the town's dead. The crown jewel of their operation is a white, antebellum-style house with six white pillars holding up a sweeping roof. Jeff O'Keefe's grandmother gave birth to her three sons in the house's front room. So I asked her one day, I said, Nano, I said, how in the world did y'all birth those children in a room of a house with no modern anesthetics or anything? And she said, oh, well, you know, she said when the pain got bad, they would just reach over and grab a rag and pour a little ether on it and hold it up to your face until the pain passed. And I said, well, gum, no wonder we're all half crazy, you know? <laughs> Jeff O'Keefe is CEO of Bradford O'Keefe Funeral Homes. And recently, he gave me a little look-see around their showroom. And so we sit over in this uh, office over here and make arrangements, and then we'll... Come in here and uh, make the selection. The showroom is full of all kinds of burial-related things. Um, these urns look fancy. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> these are, are very fancy. fancy, like a teak bell jar. There are register books and burial vault samples and little keepsake medallions that go on the outside of the caskets. But it's the caskets themselves that take up the most real estate. Everything from your basic wooden box to the fancy ones with fancy names. There's the primrose and the silver sapphire and a $10,000 model called the Persian bronze. I, I gotta say, I like, I, I'm like a little weirded out. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that... Is that normal, do you well, think, to well, other people? Because you're get... liking that? What? Because you're liking that? <laughs> no, I don't want... No, I'm not liking it. I'm not liking that casket. I don't want to be in it. I don't necessarily want to see anyone you in it. You don't even no, want to check the, the springiness of the mattress? <laughs> no, I don't want to sit in it. No. No, absolutely not. I do kind of regret not taking one of those babies for a test drive. Is that weird? I don't know. Anyway... I was down in Mississippi hanging in Jeff O'Keefe's funeral showroom, not because I wanted to make a purchase. I was there because O'Keefe's family funeral home helped instigate the biggest collapse the American funeral industry has ever seen. See, in 1995, Jeff's father, Jerry, took on a funeral industry giant and won. Big time. Journalist Bill Moyers. The jury found for O'Keefe and awarded him damages totaling $500 million. That is a monster judgment. And that judgment helped bring down a billion-dollar multinational funeral home company called the Lowen Group. I'm Lauren Ober, and from American Public Media and the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota, this is Spectacular Failures, the show where we give failure a semi-consensual bear hug, because we're not scared of it. Unless you are someone who pays attention to the funeral industry, it's unlikely you've ever heard of the Lowen Group. And that's by design. In their heyday in the 1990s, the Lowen Group owned more than a 1,000 funeral homes, crematoriums, and cemeteries across the U.S. and Canada. But they never put their name on anything they owned. 
So if grandma was being embalmed at, say, Fairlawn Mortuary in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, or the Everest Funeral Home and Cremation Chapel in Muskegon, Michigan, you'd just assume that some salt-of-the-earth family was taking care of her. But really, it was a massive corporation that owned those businesses. The loan group was what's called a funeral home consolidator. In the go-go 80s and into the 90s, um, the large funeral consolidators, the Wall Street companies, the chains, went on a buying spree and just bought up scads of formerly privately owned funeral homes around the country, predicting, it seems to me, almost unlimited growth. That's Josh Slocum. He's executive director of the Funeral Consumers Alliance. He's basically like the Ralph Nader of the funeral industry. Companies like the Loan Group were pulling this business move called a roll-up. They would come into a region and buy a cluster of funeral homes. Then they'd slash operating expenses to maximize profit. And they'd bundle services like embalming and livery, limos and hearses, under one roof. But they'd keep the family funeral home name. Because they know consumer behavior, and consumer behavior... Um, indicates that people believe and trust that the Johnson family funeral home is the Johnson family, right? They don't want to give that up because they know it's an emotional tug that makes people close their eyes to price. In the late 1980s, everything hummed along pretty well. The Lowen Group bought up a ton of funeral businesses and made a packet of money. But then it all came crashing down thanks to the decisions of one guy, Ray Lowen, its CEO. Ray Lowen was born in 1940 in Manitoba, Canada, the 10th of 12 children. His father ran a small funeral home, which Ray took over after his father got too sick to work. But Lowen's dreams extended far beyond Manitoba, and by 1987, he owned nearly 70 funeral homes across Canada. Around this time, plenty of American funeral homeowners were looking for successors. Many sons and daughters weren't interested in continuing the family business, and the aging owners needed to sell— Lowen's company was keen to snatch those businesses up. In one bonanza year, he bought more than 130 family-run funeral homes. But the problem with bonanzas is that sometimes they can spin way out of control. Like, sure, it's fun to spend tons of money until you're broke. In his prime, Ray Lowen was a spend-fast-and-spend-big kind of guy. His approach meant that not everyone in the funeral industry was in truest love with him. I I thought he was a complete buffoon, uh, and within minutes of our handshake, uh, we realized that we would never get along. Dan Izzard is a funeral industry analyst. He did not take to Ray when the two met in the 1980s. At the time, the loan group was just starting to get a foothold here in the U.S., and Izzard, who works with funeral home owners to optimize their businesses, didn't care for the way Ray conducted his affairs. It didn't jibe with the way business had always been done in that industry. I think that Ray uh, was an ego-first person, and it had to be about him, which is so unlike the people that, by and large, are in this profession, because funeral directors, by and large, make a funeral about the family that they're serving, whereas Ray made it about Ray. Go on. Ray wanted everyone to know that he was wealthy, that he was successful, and that he was going to be the biggest provider in the profession. And in fact, he almost made it. Almost being the operative word there. 
In just about a decade, the Lowen Group went from small-time funeral home operator in British Columbia to a $4 billion multinational death care company to Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The company went under. Six feet under. I'm sorry, I had to. People tend to die at a pretty consistent rate, and that makes the funeral industry basically recession-proof. So the passing of the Lowen Group was pretty surprising, especially in an industry that hadn't seen many shakeups since its start. Before there was even such a thing as a funeral industry, the Western way of dealing with the dead was at home. Family members, generally women, would wash the body and, in the Christian tradition, lay the body out for viewing. The village cabinet maker would typically make the casket and the town undertaker would bury the body. It wasn't so much an industry, it was just life. The business of death, the one that is more familiar to us now, evolved out of the most divisive conflict in American history. Embalming had started to become a thing to preserve the dead bodies from the American Civil War, and men would go from state to state. That's Caitlin Doty. She's a mortician, author, and death awareness advocate. They would sell embalming fluid and they would sell embalming workshops to teach other men how to become embalmers. And once men became embalmers, embalmers felt the need to be taken seriously, to be thought of as doctors or lawyers and to professionalize. And over time, into the early 20th century, it started to become the norm that you couldn't not use a man like that. You had to take your body to a funeral home. Doty says the professionalizing of death changed everything. Death got pulled from the home. People were no longer dying at home. They were dying in hospitals. People were no longer being waked and cared for by women or, or servants or domestic. It wasn't a domestic task anymore. So whereas 100 and 150 years ago, we were surrounded by death all the time. Now we have no death around us at all. And here's the problem with that. If you don't see death and you don't talk about it and then you outsource it, you have no connection to it. And then it's much easier to pretend like it just doesn't exist. Our pal Josh Slocum of the Funeral Consumers Alliance says people call him in denial all the time. They call speaking about death in the subjunctive mood, right? So they will call and say, I don't need your services today, but my husband and I were thinking if anything should ever happen to us. (laughs) Anything is ever going to happen to you. So, you know, it's whistling past the graveyard, right? We don't want to think about this. But the problem with not thinking about any of this is that when death inevitably happens, we're unprepared. A funeral is one of the biggest expenses the average American family will incur. But when it comes to burying grandma, we don't do a lot of shopping around. It's just seen as tacky. Like, you're not going to go look for a buy one, get one casket deal, you know what I mean? It's kind of remarkable that that we do almost no price shopping. And as a result, we have made ourselves a captive market that is ready to be exploited. Because common behavior is that when somebody in your family dies, you are most likely to pick a funeral home that you remember using for a prior death in your family, but based on no other criteria, right? And you don't talk about it ahead of time. You don't plan. Goodness knows, you know, that might bring on the dreaded D word too soon. The D word is death. And I've been told by experts that it's going to happen to all of us. Just reporting the facts. Sorry to break it to you. Now, I'm not here to judge anyone for not having already planned out what jazzy urn they want. I haven't thought much about it myself, which is weird because I'm descended from a funeral expert. 
my grandma Marion. Marion Ober was my dad's mom, and I would call her a semi-professional funeral goer. She would show up at all the neighborhood old ladies' funerals, and she had a real comfort with death, so much so that she happily planned her own funeral. She wanted to be laid out, which is a concept that I really find horrifying, um, in a in a particular kind of uh, nightgown. No, <laughs> that's my dad, Russ. And uh, she had specified that. Uh, <laughs> what? But beyond what? that, not I did too much. not know that actually. That is oh, news to me. Oh yes, it's true. Basically, my grandma arranged and paid for everything in advance. When she did eventually pass, the funeral home carried out most of her wishes. She made it clear to me and probably to my brother and sister that uh, she had already made her own funeral arrangements so that we wouldn't worry about it. Which was thoughtful of her, I guess. I bring up Grandma Ober because these prearranged, prepaid funerals, that's basically what the O'Keefe's and Ray Lowen got into some beef about and would ultimately help torpedo Lowen's company. We're going to take a quick break. Up next, the story of the Lowen Group's failure, starring a 110-foot yacht, a bold and brash black lawyer, and his old-school Southern client. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine... I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care 
and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Spectacular Failures. So before my grandma died, she left instructions for her funeral, including what she wanted to be buried in, which apparently was a special nightgown. Not a sexy one, though. It was like an old lady one. Oh, yes, it's true. Apparently, that was a thing old ladies did to give the illusion of slumber, of the eternal variety. What my grandma paid for is known in the business as pre-need insurance. Basically, you pay today's dollars for tomorrow's death. It exists so that your loved ones aren't financially burdened at the time of your expiration. It saves them from having to pick out a casket or an urn because you will have already done it. So you remember Jeff O'Keefe, who tried to get me to test out that casket in Mississippi? His family has sold pre-need insurance for a long time. His dad, Jerry, started the family insurance business in 1957. They sold pre-need plans to funeral homes around the region, which is how they first came into contact with Ray Lowen. Now, there's about to be a lot of moving parts here, so I will try to break it down into its simplest components. In 1990, the Lowen Group acquired a funeral home in Jackson, Mississippi. And this funeral home had an existing agreement to sell the O'Keefe's pre-need insurance. But after Lowen bought the Jackson operation, he was all, well, we're not going to do that. Lowen Group funeral homes will only sell pre-need insurance provided by Lowen subsidiaries. In Jerry O'Keefe's eyes, and in the eyes of his lawyers, this was a clear breach of contract. But, Jeff O'Keefe says, his father thought the two men could sort it out. When the dispute arose, uh, you know, my father was interested in, in settling the matter. And Jeff O'Keefe worked closely with his father at the time. He remembers that Ray Lowen turned down his father's offer to settle. Instead, Ray was basically like, I'll let you keep selling your insurance, but only if you sell me some of your funeral homes. And uh, my dad simply said, they are not for sale. You know, they're not going to be for sale. But Lowen just wouldn't take no for an answer. He tried one more time to get the O'Keefe's to sell some of their businesses to him. He invited Jerry O'Keefe up to Vancouver, B.C. for a visit on his yacht. Now, the yacht. We have to talk about the yacht for a second because it's a major character in the mythology of Ray Lowen. The Alula Spirit was a 110-foot ocean-going yacht that required a full-time crew. It had a helicopter pad and room for 60 to comfortably party. All that boat needed was some auto-tuned T-Pain. Ray Lowen used the yacht to entice funeral homeowners to sell him their businesses. He would invite them up to Vancouver and take them on salmon fishing excursions with professional guides. In the evenings, they would party on the yacht. Because there ain't no party like a funeral director yacht party. Jerry O'Keefe told his son Jeff about the yacht. You know, he said that uh, it was a highfalutin affair, you know, a lot of food and drink and, and, then, uh, and then cigars to follow and all this and that. Richard Tietrich, a funeral homeowner from East Tennessee, was also wined and dined on the Alula spirit. He remembers that Ray Lowen shelled out big for the outing. First-class airfare, five-star hotel, chef-made meals. Everything was truly first class. I mean, they spared no expense. It was quite an ordeal because, you know, I'd never been around a yacht that big. It was 
a very large yacht, and he 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 flew in on his helicopter. And <laughs> <laughs> it was it was different than what I was accustomed to. <laughs> I'd say. I mean, that's an understatement. Different than what you're accustomed to. I'm no, just guessing. I'm just, I'm just a little country boy down here in Tennessee. We're not we're not really used to anything like that. <laughs> Dietrich remembers that most of the people on that particular trip ended up selling their businesses to Lowen. Well, I think everybody out there got caught but me. But, but then, in, <laughs> you know, and then a couple of years later, I did sign a letter of intent to, to sell our company. They, right. they kept making the offer more and more enticing. See, Ray Lowen had a pattern. What happened to Richard Dietrich is similar to what eventually happened to the O'Keefe's. Lowen made an offer to buy. The owner said no. Lowen made another sexier offer... The owner again said no, and Lowen kept pushing until eventually the owner said yes. But then, T-Trick and Jeff O'Keefe say, Lowen would sit on the agreements, preventing them from growing their businesses. So even after both T-Trick and Jerry O'Keefe agreed to sell at least some of their properties to Lowen, both ended up in court. In 1991, Jerry O'Keefe sued Ray Lowen for breach of contract. O'Keefe expected to extract a few million dollars out of Lowen. Instead, he won one of the largest settlements ever awarded by a jury at the time. The O'Keefe's have a theatrical lawyer named Willie Gary to thank for that. People say, Willie Gary, you can't win them. I want to win everything. I don't want to lose nothing. Zero. That was Gary giving a keynote speech to law students in 2016. Gary convinced a mostly black jury that Ray Lowen was an out-of-town white poacher trying to exploit an honorable local business and take advantage of its African-American clientele. It was your basic David and Goliath setup. Willie had a, a picture blown up of my dad and the entire family and was wanting to portray, you know, you got an American hero here that's been trying to be put upon by, you know, this Canadian outsider, you know. and Gary explained to the jury that in other small towns, Lowen had bought up the funeral homes, raised the prices, and let the quality of care slip. Jeff O'Keefe was there in the courtroom when Gary summed up his argument. And so Mr. Gary, you know, got up in front of the jury and he said, now, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I want to thank you. You know, I think, you know, you recognize the depth of this case. But you cannot slap these people on the hand. You got to hit them where it hurts, in their wallet. Now I want you to consider $1 billion. And see, Willie Gary, he didn't lose. You show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. That is accurate. The jury awarded the O'Keefe's $500 million dollars. They would have given them the billion that Willie Gary asked for, but there was one holdout on the jury. It would be difficult for almost any company to withstand a verdict of that magnitude. $500 million. You gotta sell a hell of a lot of funerals to earn that kind of money. But for the Lowen Group and their particular way of doing business, the judgment was devastating. See, Lowen was into this business strategy we mentioned before called roll-ups. A roll-up is a situation where somebody has an idea about how to do a regional or national business by buying up and combining the operations of a whole bunch of little operations. That's Paul Carroll. He's a former Wall Street Journal reporter and co-author of the book Billion Dollar Lessons, what you can learn from the most inexcusable business failures of the last 25 years. It's a book you don't want to be in. He wrote a whole chapter about the Lowen Group. 
Carol says when you combine all these smaller local and regional businesses, you can eke out these efficiencies in the system. In a funeral home roll-up, that means centralizing the embalming or reducing the number of hearses. But that generally only works in a 30 to 60 mile radius. Funeral homes are actually even a, uh, about the funniest thing you could try to roll up because you aren't going to have a national brand for a funeral home, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to have some ad campaign. Right. Uh, Don't be funereal, we'll do the burial. I mean, nobody's <laughs> going to have a catchy slogan <laughs> about funeral homes, right? But it would be amazing if they did. Like, you can just hear the jingle in your head, right? Carol says roll-ups can be a solid idea, assuming the business doesn't get too big. Up to about $500 million, these things were great opportunities, $500 million in revenue. But once you got to a billion, they fell apart because you were trying to buy too many businesses and the efficiencies turned out to be too hard to get. That's what happened with the Lowen Group. They took on too much debt, and they were too big to see much of a bump from those economies of scale. So they jacked up the cost of caskets and cremations, reduced salaries, and cut workers' hours. It was a lose-lose for consumers and employees. There aren't a lot of examples of successful roll-ups. Those businesses you're rolling up, they all have their own baggage and their own quirks. And all that history can bite you in the butt. That's exactly what happened in Mississippi. Lowen didn't understand the business relationships that the O'Keefe's had developed over time down there. And he didn't anticipate the loyalty of their local community. In the end, the Lowen Group collapsed under the weight of all those roll-ups. The $500 million judgment against the company didn't help either. It just created too much liability. Banks cut him off and businesses stopped selling to him. Lowen made a last-ditch play to snatch up a bunch of cemeteries, which tend to have more steady income. But the plan failed to anticipate future death trends. Rising cremation rates in the U.S. means cemeteries aren't a great investment anymore. Dan Izzard, the funeral industry consultant and Lowen foe, says the market totally lost faith in Ray Lowen. More or less a a death cycle, a financial death cycle set in, and that caused his company uh, to drop from being a, a, a wonderful investment to one of the largest bankruptcies in U.S. history. By 1999, Ray Lowen was out as CEO, and the company filed for bankruptcy protection. In its Chapter 11 filing, the new CEO blamed the company's aggressive acquisition of cemeteries for its problems. The filing read, In recent years, we have lost that focus as the company has concentrated more on cemetery sales and less on funeral home operation that are our most profitable core assets. As a part of their bankruptcy claim, Lowen executives noted that the O'Keefe judgment had a, quote, lasting damaging effect on their overall financial health. The two sides eventually settled for around $130 million. Two years after the settlement, Lowen reported a loss of more than a half billion dollars. Ray Lowen's company emerged from bankruptcy in 2002 with a new name, Alderwoods Group. It spent four years selling off funeral homes, and then in 2006, the death knell finally rang. Ray Lowen's company was bought by its biggest competitor, Service Corporation International, for $1.2 billion. We wanted to talk to Ray Lowen for the story, but no one seems to know where he is. An ex-employee I talked to said he might still be in British Columbia. Tennessee funeral homeowner Richard Tietrich thought Lowen had retired to the beaches of Maui, and his former lawyers hadn't heard from him in years. As for his company, alas, here lies the Lowen Group, former darling of Wall Street, 
lover of roll-ups, yachts, and profit, its Persian bronze casket lowered into the ground for all eternity. R.I.P. Spectacular Failures is a production of American Public Media and the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. It's hosted and produced by me, Astonishing Fiasco, Lauren Ober. Towering Success, Whitney Jones is the show's producer. Our editor and funeral director is Phyllis Fletcher. Our theme music is by the delightful David Shulman. Other original music in the show comes from Jeremy Castillo and Jeremy Ray. Lauren D. is the Interim Director of Podcasts at APM. Our other stellar APM buds include Alyssa Dudley, Tracy Mumford, and Christina Lopez. Lots of thanks to my pal, Professor Melissa Cheshire. Big love to the Marketplace DC Bureau, especially Betsy Streisand. Super special thanks to my dad, Big Russ, for this uh, undertaking. Oh, boy. Uh, my funeral plan is for, for you and RJ and Sandy to figure out what to do with me when I'm dead. Oh, that is I have so no rude. Funeral plan. That is that why why can't you figure it out in advance? <laughs> why would I? We'll send you packing today with your weekly dose of bizwiz from the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. Today, Professor Connie Wanberg is here to deliver some terrible news. Networking is actually good for you. Research shows that people who network do find jobs faster, and they also tend to find higher quality jobs. Individuals can start by contacting people that they know well. So this can be family and close friends. We often discount the value that those individuals can provide to our job search. Professor Wanberg and her colleagues created a networking training program that is absolutely, completely, 100% free. You can find a link to it on our website, spectacularfailures.org. Hey friends, Lauren here. Did you know that Spectacular Failures has a newsletter? Get out. No, we do. Each week, we'll send out behind-the-scenes extras from episodes, weekly team recommendations for things we love, a sneak preview of upcoming episodes, and other fun stuff. You can sign up now at spectacularfailures.org newsletter.